When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having phenomenal Tuesdays and that you had spectacular Labor Days. Uh, I did a show yesterday breaking down everything in the world of college football. Yes, a Labor Day spectacular. You can go search that out wherever podcasts are posted. And also, you can just go into my timeline and uh, see that as well. So, Bunch of different stories to get to. Let's start with a monumental win for Duke last night over Clemson. 28-7. to It was 7-6 to Clemson at the half. Duke pulled away. Clemson, I believe. I'll get to Duke in a moment. Clemson is now 1-3 in their last four. Uh, they have lost all three of those games as favorites. They lost to... Uh, Let's see who they lose to. They lost to South Carolina. They lost to Tennessee. And they now have lost to Duke. Clemson one and three in their last four. They were favored in all three of those games. Um, and also, the Tigers, I believe, have fallen back into where they've spent most of all of Clemson's history, which is somewhere around a, a top 25-ish program. They may not even be in the top 25 this year. We'll have to see how things go forward here. Uh, But for now, the Dabo Sweeney era of Clemson dominance appears to be over. Uh, Retrospectively, you can now look at it and say, okay, how much of this was Deshaun Watson, who was a transcendent quarterback, who really put Clemson on the map? And I know Taj Boyd was good as well, uh, but the step was really taken in an aggressive way in terms of winning in a championship with Deshaun Watson. Uh, And then certainly to follow him up essentially with Trevor Lawrence, you had two incredibly elite signal callers. Now, I do think the overall quality of Clemson player has come down, but I think if you have a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback, which Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence were, they cover up a lot of things that can go wrong. And I think it's clear that whatever you think about Klubnik, he has not been able to demonstrate anywhere near uh, the same level of success. And the same thing was true of DJ Ugalele, who I think's name I got right, but the quarterback that was supposed to be the heir apparent to Trevor Lawrence never was able to take that step. Now you wonder how much of it is losing Brent Venables, how much is Tony Elliott being gone, the offensive and defensive continuity also that had existed at Clemson for some time. But at its baseline level, I think there are legitimate questions about whether Clemson is anything other than a top 25 program, and certainly they have fallen out of the elite level of college football. This is why before the season started, I felt like Florida State was ready to cycle up uh, which is why I picked Florida State to be one of my four playoff teams. I have Georgia, Florida State, 
Michigan and USC in that order was my predictive playoff four. We will see uh, whether or not Florida State can kick through that door and officially become the ACC champion team that it appears they may be capable of becoming. So, so this is a big drop-off for Clemson. I think their status as an elite program is officially over. Now, what about Duke? Wow. Wow. It's a really good environment last night. Some of you may have not been paying a lot of attention to Monday Night Football. You may have forgotten. This is why I tweeted out, hey, this game's getting interesting. When Duke took a 12-7 lead, might be worth paying attention. They were 13.5-point underdogs who ended up winning by 21 outright. 34.5-point swing in expected outcome versus reality. Duke and Elko, their head coach, and their quarterback, who I got to give credit to Mel Kuyper. I did not know uh, Duke's quarterback very well, uh, and he played at a very high level, athletic, uh, made a lot of of plays. Riley Leonard is his name. I bet a lot of you do not know Riley Leonard. Uh, They have him listed as a top 20 quarterback, I mean, a top 20 draft pick, that is a first-round quarterback, many of the draft Knicks do, including Mel Kuyper. He played really, really well. He looked way better than Cade Klubnik. Um, And Duke, this didn't feel like one of those crazy outcomes where you look at it and you say, how in the world did they win? You know, a lot of times upsets on the road happen in college football, and you go back and look at it, and somebody wins like 24 to 21, and there are like five turnovers, and somebody returns a putt for a touchdown, and maybe there's a blocked putt, and you take over possession at the one-yard line, or you scoop and score, and you go back and you look at the total yardage, and the total yardage suggests that one team dominated, but they kept turning the ball over, and they had a couple of flukish special teams or defensive touchdowns that led to the outcome. Duke lined up against Clemson and looked every bit as good and fast and athletic on the field as Clemson did. This did not feel like one of those games. Now, I know you could say, well, Clemson turned the ball over close, had a couple of uh, missed blocked field goals. They left points on the field. There's no doubt. But it's not like Duke played well in the first half. Duke should have had the lead uh, in the first half in terms of on the scoreboard. And I go back and I look at this, and there's nothing to me that looks incredibly uh, outlandish about this result. This, to me, looked like Duke was at worst the equivalent in talent of Clemson. And if that's true, Dabo's got to go back to the drawing board in a big way. And I would just point this out. Clemson historically has struggled to be an elite program because Tennessee has always been an elite program. Georgia has typically been an elite program. And in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, certainly since they joined the SEC, the overall quality of South Carolina's program has increased. And then you also toss in Florida State, and we're talking about a relatively small area that there are a lot of really decent programs all competing. And what Clemson did, I think, is more so than almost any program out there, they took advantage of Tennessee stinking. Clemson got a lot of guys, frankly, 
that historically Tennessee would have gotten. Trevor Lawrence, a good example. Trevor Lawrence grew up, I believe, in North Georgia, huge Tennessee football fan. He ended up going to Clemson, won a lot of games there. Clemson had a great deal of success because Tennessee kept tripping all over itself. A lot of really good players ended up at Clemson. You go back and look, oh, they're interested in Tennessee. Oh, they're interested in Clemson. They end up going to Clemson. I think that Tennessee's rise is going to hurt Clemson. And I think that Florida State's rise is going to hurt Clemson. South Carolina under Shane Beamer being good hurts Clemson. Tennessee and South Carolina both beat Clemson last year. Matt Brown at North Carolina. North Carolina was awful. Clemson got a lot of really good recruits in that area too. Now North Carolina is better. My point on this is Clemson benefited by a lot of teams in the rough geographic area of Clemson dropping the ball and not having that much success, at least relative to past success. I think you can even say it about the Florida Gators in a post-Urban Meyer era. They didn't have that same kind of success that they have traditionally had uh, with Muschamp, with McElwain, and now suddenly with Billy Napier, even with Dan Mullen, Things went downhill pretty quick once they actually started rolling in a negative direction. Just worth thinking about how much of Clemson was getting Trevor Lawrence, getting Deshaun Watson, and also having a lot of programs around them in the Southeast that are traditionally powers dropping the ball and leading to Clemson getting better talent. I feel like the Clemson dynasty, and I do think it's fair to call it a dynasty, Because when you make the playoffs as many years in a row as Clemson did, and when you win two national championships, I think it's fair to call it a dynasty. I think it's dead. Uh, And I think Clemson is back to being a top 25-ish caliber program, which is what they've been for most of their history, as opposed to a top five caliber program, which is what they've been for much of the last decade. So that's how I would define what exactly went on there. Okay. Um, I want to hit you with a couple of things that I think are significant um, that, uh, that that I just talked about on Clay and Buck. First of all, Dr. Fauci was confronted finally on CNN about the Cochrane study that demonstrates masking did little to nothing at all to prevent the spread of COVID. Uh, and I don't know why it's taken so long for Fauci to be confronted on this, even In a recent New York Times interview, Dr. Fauci said, mask may work on the margins about 10% at best. Because this is important. The mask zealots out there, and there were a lot of them, they argued for a long time, oh, if everybody just wore masks, COVID would stop spreading completely. And then there were a lot of people, I give credit to Ian Miller, a lot of people who just looked at the raw data and said, wait a minute, there's a mask mandate in L.A. County not a mask mandate in Orange County, there's no difference in COVID transmission. There's a mask mandate in Davidson County, which is where Nashville is, not a mask mandate in Williamson County, there's no difference in COVID transmission. And you started to look at these like side-by-side counties and recognize that there was virtually no difference at all. And nobody was willing to just talk about the basic data and they weren't willing to confront Fauci. Now we tried to offer... Fauci the opportunity to come on to Clay and Buck for the last two plus years, and he said he was too busy. He finally went on CNN and was finally confronted about this. We can probably cut the clip 
and play it for everybody out there uh, when we share this snippet. But Smirkonish is the CNN uh, host who actually confronted Fauci about it. And Fauci's response was, well, it may not work on a group level, but it can definitely work on an individual level. Well, hold on. How does that make sense? It doesn't work for millions of people, but it might work for one. Yeah, that's not actually what the data reflects at all. So I thought that was important. Bravo to, I believe it's Michael Smirkonish on CNN uh, for actually confronting Fauci about this uh, and for exposing Fauci to be the lying hypocrite that I believe he is. Now, that's important. People say, okay, why do you care, Clay? Why in the world do you care if somebody wears a mask? This is what all the mask people say. And I respond always by saying, because they're not just content to wear masks themselves. They want to force all of you to be back in masks also. And I shared this clip uh, from a letter to tell you this is where we are headed. This is where we are going. Uh, This is from a school. This is a school in Montgomery County, Maryland. If you're not familiar with Montgomery County, Maryland, it's the wealthy suburbs just north of Washington, D.C. This is Southern Maryland. Uh, I was sent this, a school there, an elementary school. Uh, This is what it says. Dear parents, this letter is to inform you that three or more individuals have tested positive for COVID in this person's classroom in the past 10 days. We are taking the following steps to keep our school environment as safe as possible for in-person teaching and learning and to prevent further transmission of COVID in this group. Here is what they are going to require. K95, KN95 masks have been distributed and students and staff in identified classes or activities will be required to mask while in school for the next 10 days except while eating or drinking. Masks will become optional again following the 10-day period. Now, first of all, I don't believe masks are ever going to be optional, okay? Uh, The mask people want people to be in masks forever, but they're going to put third graders at this public elementary school in Montgomery County, Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C. They're going to put them in masks. They are doing this despite the fact that all of the data out there reflects that masks are worthless against COVID in classrooms. All the studies, the arguments are non-existent, especially for kids. You can't even wear an N95 comfortably if you're an adult. This is why you have to fight back. And this is why you have to argue against this because they are going to make your kids wear masks again if your kids go to public school in major metropolitan areas, certainly on the East and West Coast. This is coming because the White House just made a big show. Joe Biden tested Jill Biden. Joe Biden's wife tested positive for COVID. Dr. Jill Biden. I believe this is the third time she's tested positive for COVID despite having like six or seven shots, whatever the math is now. Um. And the Cree Jean-Pierre was just asked about what the president would be doing as a result. He's being tested, and he says he's going to be wearing a mask indoors again. Again, masks make no sense. The president in a mask again 
sends the message that the Dr. Fauci's of the world have continued to send for years now. Remember, this is the fourth. This is the fourth fall and or winter with COVID since this all started in 2020. And the Democrats are still running the same playbook, which is you have to wear a mask. They're going to bring it back. And this is why I say to everyone out there who says, why don't you just not worry about it? Let people wear masks if they want to. No, the mask wearers are totalitarian imbeciles. If they get the opportunity, they will mandate that you and me and our kids and everybody out there on an airplane that all of us are going to have to wear masks again. And I am not going to stand for it. I fought against it aggressively, went and spoke at my kids' school board meeting. You can go watch that video back in August of 2021. I was 100% right then, and two-plus years later, guess what? They're trying to do it to our kids again. I'm not going to stand for it. Uh, By the way, Whoopi Goldberg also tested positive for a third time for COVID. She's not on The View either. Why are people still testing for COVID? If you feel poorly, stay home from work. That's what's been the standard for my entire life. I don't remember in my entire life ever getting tested to see whether I had the flu. I am certain that I've never been tested to see whether I had a cold. The record and the lesson and the entire uh, protocol, the precedent that has been set from the get-go is if you feel too ill to do your job, then stay home. If you feel well enough to do your job, then go. But you don't need to make a big pronouncement about your illness or your COVID status. Go watch that video from The View. Maybe we can embed it here as well. Go watch that video. It's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely insane what they are trying to do as it pertains to bringing all the COVID mandates back. It's what they, well, they get away with anything that they can. They will restrict your freedoms to the best of their ability the instant they can do it. Do not let them do it. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Much less serious. Much less serious. I got a couple of funny stories for you. I, yesterday on the program, I came out and I said, look, everybody's focused on college football and they're trying to shorten the game. Every five or ten years this happens, they change the timing on college football game. uh, And they don't actually address the major issues with time. Uh, One is way too many commercials. You actually go to a college football game, and I was at one this weekend. I went to go watch Tennessee, Virginia in person. You watch how often the teams are just standing around waiting for television commercials to end. So my solution, really simple, cut in half the number of commercials, 
that air during a football game and charge twice as much for them. Scarcity generally in all facets of life increases what you can charge for a product. If you had half as many uh, television commercials, you could charge Dr. Pepper twice as much for every one of those Fansville commercials that they run. Simple solution makes logical sense from a purely economic perspective. Half as many commercials charge twice as much. In theory, they are twice as valuable because both you and your consumer that you are competing against, uh, you would both have fewer ads that you could buy. That would be one solution. The other one, and my good buddy Keith Olbermann is fired up about this, I said, stop having the band perform on the field at halftime. I didn't say the band couldn't perform, but they can perform just as well from their seats in the stadium. They don't need to march around on the field. Just have them play songs inside of the stadium. Or if you really want them standing, have them come out and stand in a line on the ring around the field and get out of the way of the actual players. I don't come to a football game to watch the band perform. College football halftimes are twice as long as NFL halftimes. As a result, we waste a lot of time watching the marching band perform. Keith Olbermann was outraged. Keith Olbermann said that I had no idea. Let me make sure I get his tweet right. So, Keith Olbermann, you'll recall, I challenged Keith to a debate head-to-head on the uh, on uh, whether or not women should be competing against men in men's sports. Seems like a very fair debate. Seems like it makes a lot of sense uh, and that we could have a very robust, legitimate debate uh, over that. But instead, Keith Olbermann was fired up about, uh, about my opinion on bands. Here's what Olbermann tweeted. Just when you thought this dead-eyed idiot Rube Beckerwood at Clay Travis, thank you, yes, I am the dead-eyed idiot Rube Peckerwood in question here, uh, couldn't be any more disconnected from real American life. Who do you think's better connected to American life? Me, a father of three, 15, 12, and 8-year-old, a man who's been married for nearly 20 years, a guy who runs a media company that is designed to appeal specifically to football fans. That's what the majority of our traffic is. Who lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Or a 64-year-old single man who lives in an apartment overlooking Central Park uh, and is obsessed with men being able to win women's championships. Just regardless of the topic. Who do you think has a better understanding of average American life? The guy with three kids living in the heartland of America in the great city of Nashville, who's been married for 20 years and therefore is surrounded by lots of other parents and lots of other uh, uh, what I would call normal people doing normal things on a day-to-day basis, or Keith Olbermann, 64 years old, I believe never married, no kids, living with no job that I'm aware of in an apartment overlooking Central Park, arguing that men 
who identify as women should become women's champions. And again, I'll just point out that Keith will not accept my debate offer. And I even offered that if he would like to begin our debate by playing a flute or any other musical instrument of his choice, I will allow him to not only debate me, but also provide the same sort of musical accompaniment that the band, writ large, provides at a sporting event for our debate. He can play a song of his choice on his flute, on his tuba, on his uh, guitar, on his whatever instrument he wants to bring. He can sing. He can dance. He can provide an entire musical accompaniment to our debate. I'll even allow him to have a halftime where he marches around with a drum and wears a, uh, a school band uniform and performs halfway through the debate as well. In case there are people out there who need an intermission and they want to watch Keith Olbermann, formerly one of the most watched men in sports, and if they want to watch Keith Olbermann decide that he's going to perform at halftime, I'll even allow an intermission. Still no response. But Keith Olbermann, defender of bands, keeps painting himself into more loser corners. Um, By the way, speaking of loser corners, Joe Biden is buying millions of dollars in ads for the opening Thursday night football game to air in several different uh, toss-up states. This is according to Axios. I saw this this morning. Uh, NFL season opener, Lions at the Chiefs, airing on NBC. Uh, Joe Biden, to defend his economic policies, interesting, uh, has bought ads in the battleground states of Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Iowa. That is seven states. Iowa is not a battleground state. My guess is he just wants to have ads there because we're going to see soon uh, the, uh, the, the caucuses take place there on January 15th. Uh, but Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Nevada, I would say those are six states where it's going to be relatively close. Um, and it's a $25 million campaign. I'm not sure what percentage of those uh, will be spent uh, specifically on the NFL season opener ads. But if you are watching in Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Iowa, as I'm sure a decent percentage of people will be, then boom, you'll get to see Joe Biden defending his economic policies. Now, uh, I don't know if any of you saw this, but Aaron Rodgers, who is the Jets quarterback, also my fantasy football team quarterback, uh, he is going to be um, uh, starting with the Jets here soon. But in the meantime, he's in New York. He went to the U.S. Open where Novak Djokovic was banned last year uh, because he refused to get the COVID shot. This year, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers shared on Instagram, on his Instagram story, he marked out the Moderna, uh, we may have a video of this as well, of this Instagram uh, ad. He marked out the Moderna ad on the uh, on the wall, and he wrote Novak's Joke Djokovic. Now, to be fair, to my knowledge, Novak Djokovic is not anti 
uh, vax. He is anti the COVID shot. That is a difference. But I believe that both Aaron Rodgers, who is a first ballot NFL future Hall of Famer, and Novak Djokovic, along with Kyrie Irving and other athletes who refuse the mandates to get the jobs, the jabs, are going to continue to look better and better in the reflections of history in the years ahead because they refused to allow themselves to be forced to get a medical treatment that they did not believe that they needed. A couple of other things here that are also fun. I don't know about you, but if I were on a flight from Atlanta to Barcelona, and at some point after taking off, they had to turn around and come back to land because someone had explosive diarrhea on the plane, that might be the worst poop disaster of all time. I don't know how you can come up with something worse than explosive diarrhea on an airplane that is so significant that it necessitates the plane turn around and come back to Atlanta for a deep cleaning before they can then continue on the flight to Barcelona. I've never heard of this. I have so many questions. How far off had they t- were they in the air? Were they over the Atlantic? Like, how long had this flight been in process when everybody just said, I'm sorry, we had such a diarrhea explosion here that we have to turn the plane around? And what if this were you? What if you blew it up, not as a bomb, blew up the bathroom so much with your poop that they couldn't continue the plane flight and they had to turn around and come back? What did that bathroom look like? Was it like a poop murder scene? Was there just poop everywhere, ceilings, walls? And what happened to the person? What was the person wearing? Were they fully nude? Did they pass out? Did they have clothes to change into? What if this were your travel companion? Is this grounds for immediate divorce? If your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend went into the bathroom, said, honey, sorry, I got to go to the bathroom. Next thing you know, Their poop explosion is so bad that the plane has turned around? This is one of the greatest poop disaster stories of all time. Do they continue to Barcelona? They had to bring out the hazmat team. Imagine how bad this bathroom must have been. I want more. I need to know who this was. I need to know what happened. I am filled with so many questions. And if you are eating lunch or dinner, maybe breakfast, you're listening to me. Maybe I should have prefaced this entire poop discussion. Of all the poop disasters I've ever heard, I've never heard of one this bad. You had to, you were so uh, disgusting in your poop-related endeavors that you forced an international plane flight to return to its destination where it took off from. They were up in the air. Think about this for a minute. They're up in the air. They're traveling comfortably towards Spain, Atlanta to Spain, 
somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, somebody had to tell the pilot, I'm sorry, sir, there has been such a disastrous poop on this plane that you have to return the plane to Atlanta. Do you have to go back through customs? I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like, once you hit international waters, did the plane passengers have to go back through customs? Do you have to clear customs to return because of the poop explosion? Did the pilot question this? I can't imagine that in a lot of your pilot training, they prepare you to pull off your headset and have someone lean over and say, I'm sorry, sir. Somebody blew up the bat. He's like, what, we got a bomb on the plane? No, no, no. Somebody blew up the bathroom so badly with their diarrhea that the entire international plane can't continue, so we're going to have to turn around. Does the co-pilot get consulted? Do they have to be unanimous? Do photos get shared? Do they think that they're being pranked? I want to know way more about this story. The poop person. How does this happen? Did you think to yourself, I'm going to be able to hold it? It's a nine-hour flight. Did you take Imodium AD and it didn't work? Were you filled with all sorts of other drugs and they just failed you? I need to know more about this story. I'm sorry. And maybe tomorrow more of this story will have come out. Uh, I love all of you. Go read the starting 11. I'll give you a reasoned analysis of the 14th Amendment tomorrow. I'll talk about the fact that no one is drinking Bud Light at any college football games anywhere. But in the meantime, whatever you have to do, do not create a poop explosion so bad that your plane has to return to the docking gate. This has been Outkick the Show. DBAP! Unless you need to SBAP. <laughs>